On this week's episode, Lee Griffin is shockingly quiet. Scott Boris starts talking religion. I believe he he was god of aviation. One of well, the gods. It, Not I mean, the god. I would say this is what this is what we would call a polytheistic religion. <laughs> There okay. are multiple people that are gods. There are, se- there are several <laughs> gods of aviation in northern Ohio. At least two that I know of. He likes Zeus, though. Like the other gods have King like. Of the gods? Yeah, the other gods have like control of their domain, but like he was like the ultimate god. <laughs> I think that's probably an accurate statement. Okay. That's probably an accurate statement. It was like a lot of gods, but I feel like he was Zeus. <laughs> like he was the one that oversaw all the gods. And I make up new flight ratings that we can get. Or CFIM. What do they call it? I don't even remember. MEI. MEI. You could do one of those first legally. Yes. No, I think it's, CF- I think it's CFIM. Does. Yeah? Yeah. I think that's right. I think you had it right the first time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. CFIM. I don't have one, so. I don't either. Welcome to the podcast. This week we are covering um, the private pilot uh, maneuvers you need to do for the check ride. We are pulling it out of the book. Um, I want to say the PTS, which is Practical Test Standards, but it's not. That's what Scott and I did back in the day. It's called the ACS, right? Airman I have Certification. No idea. Yeah, is that they changed the name of it? Standards. Yeah, it's a new uh, new thing. Yeah. We probably should have looked that up uh, prior to doing yeah. this. Yeah, we're probably pretty sure it's the. That. Pretty sure it's the ACS. Lee, Lee um, what do you think? Uh, oh, yes. oh, that's right. Lee, Lee is out. Lee is he not is here. Out uh, for a, uh, if you, um, he had some. What he had some pains or something. He had a lot of pain going on. He went in. And they said, I think went said, in. The performed a, a hysterectomy. Yeah, um, I guess he's doing well. I guess he's yeah. He's keep him, out, keep him in your prayers. Keep him in your prayers. Yeah. Um, I guess we're gonna, a hysterectomy is not something that you can have and then get out. Like, and I guess it takes a few days before you can like. He says he's gonna try to get on later with us, though. Um, yeah, he may yeah. be cleared out uh, of the hospital from his hysterectomy. Well, I, think he's, I think he's gonna try to record from the hospital. Is that what it so, was? Okay. Yeah, I think they so got to keep him overnight. Yeah. It's just Scott and I. Uh, if you heard my intro on last week's episode, you um, you heard we are doing this like week to week now. These are recorded several days before they're actually released. Uh, and Lee does this. He needed an emergency hysterectomy. Um, so he, he may or may not make it to the show. So Scott and I are going to try to uh, move this forward. Um, and the ACS, it is the ACS. I'll just, I'll just edit it out if, if that's wrong. Um, so basically we're not going to cover the entire ACS. It's a giant book. It'd be like multiple episodes. We probably will do it over time, but this uh, episode, we are going to focus, uh, on the maneuvers, uh, the particular maneuvers that like you would during your check ride, you're going to go out away from the airport environment to do this stuff. Because there are maneuvers you're going to be tested on, like the landing pattern to take off, like land the airplane, take off the airplane. There's a bunch of stuff you're going to experience in your check ride, taxing around the airport before you even get in the airplane, all the checks and weather and everything. And then uh, the post flight, 
um, stuff, putting the plane back, all that stuff. We're, we're leaving that out of the ACS uh, for now. And uh, we're just doing a airplane land. Or, this would be C2 because you got to do this stuff if you were taking it uh, straight C. But um, yeah, so, yeah, yeah this take, is basically... Can you get your right. C plane rating before you get your land rating, I suppose, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's, it's rare, but I know some people do it. Yeah. So you I could, suppose if you like grew up on an island or something where that's all they do, it would make sense. That or if you like grow up at Land of Lakes and learn to fly yeah. from like Jack Browns or something, we have straight yeah. floats because a lot of seaplanes are amphibious. Yeah. So in that situation, you'd be doing both parts of it during it anyway. Yeah. So you'd, you'd almost like have to learn in something that's straight floats that doesn't have the capability to put the landing gear down and land on pavement as well as water. And then you'd only be certified for sea. But yeah, within the regs, that's totally possible. But, um, so yeah, this is like during the check ride, you're going out like you, during the test, you go out to like the practice area, uh, wherever you're doing the check ride at, and you're going to have to do, um, usually some, um, I don't think they are required to test you on everything. Don't quote me on that. Lee might know, but he, uh, he's at the hospital still, um, with the, um, I can't remember that medical procedure again. Hysterectomy. Um, yes, that's what it was. You uh, you, you talked to him on the phone, right? Yeah, that's what he said. I don't really know what it means. Okay. I have no idea. But he said that they said he needed an emergency hysterectomy. So Okay, so it sounds, you know. It sounds, sounded kind of serious, but it wasn't like life-threatening serious. But, you know, they had to put him, put him we out. Just, you know. We just hope for the, you know, hope, hope quick best, recovery. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I guess he, he, he is. He is awake now, I guess. But okay, well, that's good. So the surgery, yeah. the hysterectomy went well. Um, yeah, it's just yeah. whether or not he can make it on the show tonight. Yeah. Um, first one is steep turns. Uh, if you go in the, I keep wanting to say PTS, it, the ACS Airman Certification Standards, um, Part V Performance and Ground Reference Maneuver, uh, Task A. Uh, objective to determine that the applicant exhibits satisfactory knowledge, risk management, and skills associated with steep turns. And then they break this down knowledge. The applicant demonstrates understanding of purpose of steep turns, aerodynamics associated with steep turns to include coordinated, uncoordinated flight, overbanking tendencies, maneuvering speed, including the impact of weight changes, load factor, and accelerated stalls, rate and radius of turn, and there's a bunch of risk management stuff. Which um, before before you do any of these maneuvers, your instructor should be teaching you basically to search the area first, make sure there's no other planes around that you're going to collide with. Yeah, always make look sure that, before you turn. Yeah, appropriate altitudes and stuff. Um, and like when you were training, we had the same instructor. We were supposed to do this. Don taught us to do this, and we yeah. did. We weren't necessarily like making a big deal out of it. So no. I remember as I remember as part of the check ride, I'd be like, okay, we kind of just do that scan and that's common sense and everything. But when you're on your check ride, you gotta like I remember really look explaining around. it to yeah. us. Like yeah. really kind of exaggerate it so that right. he's like seen turn, turn like twice, like look around, you know, check yeah, like even like bring it up. All right, checking like vocalize, like yeah. talk, 
through. Like you have to do that during your CFI check ride, yeah. uh, certified flight instructor. But like you're private, you're not required to do it. Like teach it while you're doing it. You're just required to demonstrate it. I know that's yeah, like I, that's one of the things which is not a good thing. But like I would get too lax on like checking before I did a turn. Did you ever get yeah. that way? It's like um, fly in certain in certain areas. Right, like up here where we are, like I don't know, doing maneuvers and stuff, like just just going up and flying around, playing around. I would I forget to check sometimes, but it's it's really important. Like there's areas we have a ton of time in up that up we know Ohio, that we've over years and years of going to this practice areas that we've never once seen another airplane. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that can lead you to complacency. I really got it drilled into me when I, I, because I finished my commercial rating and I finished my CFI down here in Florida. Uh, Yeah, it's probably a lot bigger deal down there. Yeah, like 12 years ago. And you go out over the Everglades and it is, you, like, every fourth or fifth time you check, you do see another airplane that if you hadn't checked, it could have easily been an issue. Yeah. So yeah, it's just depending on where you, I'm sure if you're out west, you're doing like training like out in like Probably desert nobody, and stuff yeah. and stuff. It's like you can go your entire flight training career and never see anybody else, you know? I'm sure that's difficult cuz you still got to keep doing it. It's almost easier to do it in an area where you immediately see okay, you know, yeah. almost every flight lesson once or twice you see a plane that changes that anyway steep turns uh basically it's it is what it sounds like you bank the airplane over steeply oh one wing down one wing up yeah you turn uh, you yeah. turn and then you it's got to be coordinated yeah which keep the ball you, in the middle you, you do with the rudders you have the inclinometer ball that's what it's called right yeah i'm not sure but I know they Lee always would, say Lee would you, know. you step on the ball. Yep. So if, if the, the ball is off, going, you step on the ball. Yep. The side, the ball's shifting towards left or right. If it's shifting right, you step on that right rudder to bring it back into the, the center of the lubber lines. So basically, the skills they're looking for for the steep turn, like the, that's an examiner, uh, applicant, the applicant demonstrates the ability to uh, clear the area. So that's that pre-thing. You don't clear the area before doing any of these maneuvers. No, you fail the maneuver before you even started. Aircraft. Yep. Establish the manufacturer's recommended airspeed, or if one is not available, an airspeed not to exceed VA, which, what is VA again from a couple episodes ago? Uh, velocity active. That's yeah. not what it stands Maneuver. for. But that's what, yeah, for maneuvering speed. Maneuvering speed. <laughs> He's going to cringe when he listens to this. Uh, roll into a co- coordinated 360-degree steep turn with approximately a 45-degree bank. Um, this is relatively straightforward. 45-degree, that's, that's halfway over. Um, most aircraft you're going to be doing this in has an attitude indicator, a little marking right at the 45. And you just maintain that, maintain the inclinometer ball in the center with your rudders, and try to be smooth, and try to roll out you know, reasonably 
360 degrees, so you're going the same direction as when you started it. Um, and then perform the task in the opposite direction as specified by the evaluator. And then the last one is maintain the entry altitude plus or minus 100 feet, airspeed plus or minus 10 knots, and bank plus or minus 5 degrees, and roll out on the entry heading uh, plus or minus 10 degrees. So like a steep turn, so basically when we say plus or minus 100 feet, that means if you start this maneuver at 5,000 feet, uh, heading directly north uh, at an airspeed of 100 knots, uh, you've got to roll into that steep turn, 45-degree angle. Uh, you've got to maintain that bank plus or minus 5 degrees, which is 40 to 50 degrees of bank. You don't have to... You don't have to dead-on nail that 45-degree angle. It's, it's good if you do. You should practice to that standard. If you do that in practice, even during the stress of a check-ride evaluation, you should be able to maintain plus or minus 5. But you do have that range um, to, to play with. As long as you keep it before 40, in between 40 and 50 degrees of bank, uh, you're going to be fine on that. Uh, and then the airspeed, you got to keep that since we started the maneuver at 100 knots, you got to keep that between 90 knots and 110 knots. And then uh, you got to maintain that 5,000 feet, but you got to stay between 4,900 or 5,100. And then you got to exit it within 10 degrees on the compass of north, I think we said, right? Yeah, well, whatever you started on, you got to yeah. exit it on. Yeah. So but you can it does, you can do multiple. You can do 360, or you, know, you can do 720. Right? I mean, you can do. Well, do for this balance. thing, it says roll into a coordinated 360 degree turn. Okay, is the third uh, skill that you got to demonstrate. So you got to roll out in the same heading for this exam, and then typically they're going to ask you um, to do it in the opposite direction. Um, I don't think we were. I wasn't asked to do it in the opposite direction. I think I did it well enough where he's like, okay, they know how to do this. Yeah. Probably had a little bit to do with us dog fighting over Lake yeah. Erie yeah, uh, just during our fighting. solo adventures. So and we got fairly good. Yeah, we got fairly good at steep maneuvers. <laughs> so when it was time for the check ride, it was like, so we just have to do this at 45 yeah. degree <laughs> we bank. We don't have to go uh, all the way. <laughs> and just just do a 360-degree turn and maintain all the speeds and altitudes and everything? Like, it was pretty simple after mock dogfighting over Lake Erie in the, in the 150s. Good times. So, oh, yeah. So we'll go in the next one, uh, rectangular course. This is part V, uh, task B, ground reference maneuvers. Uh, objective, to determine that the applicant exhibits satisfactory knowledge risk management and skills associated with ground reference maneuvering, which may include a rectangular course, S turns, and turns around a point. So you don't actually have to do every single one. And if my memory fails me, which it probably is, um, but I don't think, I think they, they broke this up into different tasks. Well, uh, I feel like the rectangular course was kind of covered in the pattern. Like you're flying, holding a pattern, like. Yeah. 
I'm sure they are judging that. And a lot of exam, maybe some examiners actually have you fly the like, rectangular course out over the practice area. And they have a mirror and I'm like, my 150 actually still has a, a rear view mirror in it. You're supposed to like check that you're flying straight out, you know, check out the back. You guys have have you ever used, used that? I didn't have a mirror in mine. I, yeah, I like remember it's, yours it's, had a mirror. Tiny and you have to have it positioned just right to be able to see. But I remember Don saying, like, that's why they have that in there. Because when you take off, you're supposed to keep the runway exactly behind you, you know. I, and I remember this is one thing I, I, was, I was bad at. Yeah, you're not supposed to drift one way or the other. I wouldn't say I was bad at it, but I just never paid attention to it unless I was being forced to. You're supposed to maintain the course, the same course that the runway is. That's the course you're yeah. supposed to maintain. Obviously, you turn 90 degrees, or not 90 degrees, but, well, yeah, 90 degrees. And then 180. Yeah, and then, nine. yeah. Yeah, that pattern traffic pattern yeah. which we should probably do an episode on the actual flying traffic yeah. pattern at some point yeah. um but yeah i'm sure some examiners do just they may not even have you do it in the practice on the practice area they might just make sure you're flying the pattern when you come in and do takeoffs and landings uh, and make sure you're keeping that square or rectangular uh, and then they'll probably count it uh s turns is another one. So if you think of like where we did it, you go out into the country. This would just be like a long straight road or yeah, long straight power long lines. Straight road. Yeah. Yeah. As turns, you just find like a long straight road or railroad tracks or power lines or whatever. Just sweep back we and should, forth across them. We, we should just go up and do this stuff next right. time I'm up there. Yeah. When you coming up here? See how difficult. Whenever, whenever my sister comes up or comes there, mm-hmm. goes there with the kids. Um, so, the, so yeah, oh, she's allowed to cross the border, right? We're not gonna get into this on the uh, on the show oh, here. Oh, There's all, right. all kinds of stupid stuff with the the yeah. Wuhan flu. Um, yeah. Canadian borders. So S turns. Basically, you're gonna cross that straight line reference, either the road or power line, something long and straight. Um, and then you're basically going to make a right or left turn. So you're going to come around 180, and the goal is to pass over uh, that road, uh, again, wings level, kind of making a smooth turn the entire time, and then come over it wings level, and then when you come over it, you start, as soon as you go over it wings level, you start in the opposite direction. So you're just kind of doing this S with many, many back and forth turns down a long straight point. And what makes these different, um, without any wind, all these are easy. Like the rectangular course, for example, if there's no wind, it's just, you just fly in a rectangle. What the rectangle, what some of these ground reference maneuvers try to get you to focus on are when there's wind, where the nose is pointed is not where it's going to go unless you're going directly into the wind or directly downwind away from the wind. 
it's like a rectangular course. If you got wind coming from the side of this rectangle you're trying to fly, when the wing when the wind is coming off of your right, wind if it's coming from your right during the rectangular course, you have to crab what they call crab, which turn the airplane into the wind so that your ground track stays going over the uh, the correct course. And then when you do, let's say, a left turn, like if it's simulating an airport standard airport traffic pattern is left turns, you now make that left turn 90 degrees from that perfectly right off the side of your right wing wind, then it's going to be directly behind you. And you're not going to have to crab, but you are going to be going faster. So you have to make the left turn next quicker to make it so the wind's coming off your left-hand wing. And then you're going to have to crab to the left to make your ground tract stay over it. And then once you do that last, or the not last, you can go around this indefinitely if you want to, that last left turn, you're going to be going then directly into the wind on your rectangular course. That's usually like what an instructor will start you out with. Try to find one where the wind is coming off of directly off of one side. And then once you get good at that, they're going to put it at like some some weird angle so that obviously they're not putting the wind. They can't decide where the wind, but they'll just choose the pattern on the ground based on what the wind is doing so that you're going to have a crab in on all four sides, basically. You remember doing that, Scott? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's, so then, it's tricky to do it. I mean, once you do it a few times, it's, it's pretty easy. But I remember the first time thinking like, "Oh, this is going to be easy," and then like you screw it all up. And depending yeah. on the wind, but it's it's not it's not really that hard. Now, once you do it a couple times, get comfortable with it. It's it's pretty straightforward. And the same thing with S, S turns; they sound pretty. You just stay along a line, going turning back and forth over this. Uh, but then you start to add wind in that, and it just it it throws it all yeah. off, just the same way it does a rectangular course, and then turns around a point. Basically, you pick a point. We should just pick like a tree out in the middle of a field. Yes. So, like, turns around a point. It says enter an el- enter at an appropriate distance from the reference point, 600 to 1,000 feet AGL above ground level, and an appropriate distance from the selected reference area. And the, all that stuff is depending on, if you train a different speed aircraft, it's going to be different. Um, and basically, when you're going into the wind, you kind of have the least bank in, and then it just, it combines the rectangular course and the S-turns and you basically got to keep your wing on a reference point on the ground and stay the same distance from it as you just go around in circles. This is out of these three. This is the hardest one. Would you agree? Yeah, probably. Uh, it doesn't seem like it, it doesn't seem like it would be, but I remember this one frustrating me. Yeah, because I just I assumed it would be easier than it would. Yeah, and. It wasn't. So it forced me to like learn something, which sometimes I'm not in the mood to learn anything. And I remember I was in the mood to not learn anything when Don went over this and taught me this for the first time. So I was kind of upset with that's it. Like, that's like me on my instrument rating the entire time. Yeah. I didn't want to learn anything. <laughs> I didn't have time for those games. 
We got to get Dawn on sometime. Yeah. You think she yeah. remembers training you how to do probably. the instrument? I feel like she probably would just because like, I wasn't a conventional student. You have to have been the most frustrating student she ever had. Probably. Maybe not. Rating yeah. Yeah. Or at least the most like unusual unusual opinions about flying you, you were talking to like atc not simulated like literally real atc yeah. and then they said a bunch of stuff and you i reply you fly okay just okay yeah and i think she yeah. almost had a heart attack yeah she's like you can't say that's atc yeah it's <laughs> like i can do whatever i want oh man <laughs> I'm the pilot in command. I can do whatever I want. It's my call. Yeah, ground reference maneuvers. Uh, that's part B. It's just, yeah, it's difficult. We, we just wanted to bring this up on the show because we have a lot of listeners who, who've never gone through this. It's mainly just telling you this is out there. And before we move on, I want to do, I do want to mention, um, I didn't realize this when I started flying lessons until like a few weeks before the check ride, I think Don gave me what was then the PTS practical test standards, which is now the ACS uh, airman certification standards. You can buy this book. This is the book that the examiner uses to give you your check ride. Unless you have like an like, old school examiner, then he ain't reading any books. You're just doing whatever he thinks you should do. Well, I mean, there's not a lot of those around, I'd, I'd assume. No. Um, but you can literally, you can see the entire to the standards that they're doing the check ride for. Like, it's not like a mystery. Like, you can read through this book. It's like 100 pages-ish. And just go through it before your check ride. Or I would do it early on in your training to kind of don't study just for that because there's way more stuff you need to know to be a po good pilot than beyond this, you know, just this, this book for the check ride. But this is something you should like, when it comes up, be like, okay, I should really make sure I can nail this. And if you just kind of go through that whole book, like your check ride shouldn't be that stressful. No. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah I'd say so. Yeah. Um, and then, We'll throw in again. We're skipping a ton of stuff. There's no way to cover this book in one episode. I would recommend downloading it. I will actually put this in the show notes. Uh, if you're listening to this within a few weeks of it coming out, uh, I won't have the show notes done. I'm currently like seven episodes behind right now. I am trying to catch up on that. Slow flight. Trying to find slow flight. Where's slow flight at? Oh, maneuvering during slow flight. This is Roman numeral seven, slow flight installs. Uh, task A, maneuvering during slow flight. The objective is to determine that the applicant exhibits satisfactory knowledge, risk management, and skills associated with maneuvering during slow flight. Um, slow flight is... is it's flying slow. Is that? 
Yeah, it's uh, what is it? what are they? I think it's defined as uh, approximately five to ten knots above the the stall speed. That, yeah, it's that it's slow. Right? Yeah, you get you typically have a pretty pitch up attitude. Yeah. Um, you get to the point. Basically, you're like you're you're about as as slow as you can go before your your stall horn starts going off. Yeah, it's a it's a strange phenomenon. You start getting slower and slower, and you get to the point where you need to actually start increasing power to, to keep the plane to maintain altitude, altitude. Yeah. and keep slowing down the airplane. Yeah. So the skills associated with this, the applicant demonstrates ability to clear the area. Again, every single one of these, you got to clear the area first. Uh, select an entry altitude that will allow the task to be completed no lower than fifteen hundred feet AGL or 3,000 feet AGL uh, if you're multi-engine, which we're not covering. Uh, You must establish and maintain an airspeed at which any further increase in angle of attack, increase in load factor, or reduction in power would result in a stall warning. Uh, Example, airplane buffet, stall horn, etc. So this is a slow flight. You're basically putting it right on the edge. They want to see you can take the airplane right to the edge uh, before a stall, maneuver that airplane, on the edge of a stall, uh, know how that airplane feels on the edge of a stall and be able to not stall, which is why you're doing it at altitude because you can very easily during slow flight accidentally stall and you need this this altitude to recover from the stall. If stalls aren't bad, if you have plenty of altitude to recover from them. Right? What what altitude do they recommend you uh do these yeah, so select, a, select an entry altitude that will allow the task to be completed no lower than 1,500 feet AGL for a single engine or 3,000 okay. feet uh, AGL for multi-engine. No. Which I would want to be a little higher than that. I think we did probably, like 2,000. Yeah. We did a couple yeah, thousand. Well, we were, we were yeah, like 3,000. We, we, yeah. we would do it at like 3,000 feet uh, mean sea level, which in Ohio, that's about 2,500 feet. Above ground level, AGL. Yeah, I remember doing them at. I remember doing them at uh, twenty-five MSL. Sometimes, okay. sometimes I remember in the beginning we'd climb up to like three thousand. But yeah, but I mean, both of those are are within the uh, the tolerance. Yeah. yeah. Again, it's just a weird feeling. Um, the airplane feels mushy. I would say. Yeah, well, just, less, all the controls feel mushy. They're not very reactive. Yeah, you got to put in a lot more control. Like, if the wing, and you'll feel the airplane want to sometimes not do what, like, it'll, the wing will dip Sink and stuff. To one side or the other. Yeah. Yeah. And then to, to keep it level, you got to put in a lot more aileron. You got to crank over the, the aileron, the, um, the yoke or the stick a lot further in the opposite direction than you like normally would have to do during normal flight. I just want to demonstrate that you can, you can do that because it's not a normal maneuver, a slow flight, um, in normal day to day flying. Like once you have your rating, yeah, there's not really any reason to do it yeah, other than, well, you want to know what it feels like. So you, well, yeah, like, you want to know what, with, yeah, you want to know what it, the feeling is before you stall, but, yeah, so if you start to feel that, like, 
if I'm not in a training situation and I start to feel the airplane doing that kind of stuff, I immediately correct the situation and get airspeed up because I don't want to be doing that unless it's for training at a proper altitude. Uh, another objective, what is this, the skills? Okay, this is skills list they put on each one. Again, this is the uh, private pilot ACS. Uh, accomplish coordinated straight and level flight, turns, climbs, descents with the airplane configured as specified by the evaluator without a stall warning. Uh, example, airplane buffet, stall, horn, etc. So they want you to basically turn in slow flight, climb in slow flight, descend in slow flight. Hitting all, the stall warning. What if you stall yeah, warning? All, then, I mean, technically, I don't know if that's a failure or... I don't what know. Correct, it sounds like, like if you correct it, then uh, yeah, I don't know. Be, yeah, they, I don't know. They might. It says it's uh, without a. It says without a stall warning. So that makes makes it sound like that's a no, no bueno. Well, I just feel to, like uh, I feel like if you're stall like on the old Cessnas, they're they're not uh, like mine's not electronic. It's like it's just like a horn that like starts to whine a little bit like you can barely hear it you know yeah then it and then okay. it goes in off. that case yeah i feel like if you probably, can start yeah. to like barely hear it like because it starts making like a tiny whining noise before it actually like i feel like if you corrected it you should be all right yeah and then maintain specified altitude plus or minus 100 feet specified heading plus or minus 10 degrees airspeed plus or minus or no, plus 10 minus zero knots so, which you'll notice that a lot of this stuff is plus or minus. It's the same number, but with knots, which is your airspeed on this, you can go up to 10 miles an hour faster than the speed specified. Um, but they don't want you to go even one knot slower. So that's basically air on the side of a little more airspeed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh, specified bank angle at 10 degrees. Uh, power off stalls. This is, And then we've mentioned stalls in this. Stalls are just... We're not talking about the engine stalling. We're talking about aerodynamic stall of the wing. So basically when you your angle of attack increases too much, the wing will stall. There's not enough airflow flowing smoothly over the wing to generate the lift from the yeah, shape of the wing. Plane starts falling. The the nose, if you're weighted properly, in a on a trainer airplane, the nose will will buff it and drop. If you're coordinated, it won't get it. If you're uncoordinated, it might get into a spin. But if you're coordinated, it's just going to drop the nose. Um, so you want to do that power off, which would be a, like simulated approach to a landing, is kind of what they're doing. And you basically just you keep bringing the nose up, you reduce the power. And you just keep bringing the nose up. And obviously with no power, the airplane can't climb. It's going to descend. But if you keep bringing the stick or the yoke back to climb, the airplane can't climb. It's power off. So it's just, it's going to get to the point where the airflow over the wing is not correct because the airplane's going down and you're, yeah, the airplane's descending and you're trying to stick the nose up in the air like it's in a climb and it's going to stall. And so basically you do that, and then immediate recovery is, you know, full, you know, 
I don't know if it's one or the other. So I always just did it simultaneously, you know, full power, uh, bring the nose down with the yoke, yeah. recover. Um, and that basically, again, for like approach to landing, that's where you're going to, that's where it's really dangerous because you don't have the altitude to really recover from it. So they want you to know what it feels like. If you were to get into it, be able to recover from it unbelievably fast. That's, I don't know, it's a freakishly high percentage of the like fatal aircraft accidents are stalling like in the pattern low altitude when you don't have enough altitude to recover from it. Determine that the applicant exhibits satisfactory knowledge, risk management, and skills associated with power off stalls. Uh, skills clear the area as always. Select an entry altitude. Uh, it's the same 1,500 feet for single engine. Uh, configure the airplane in the approach or landing configuration as specified by the elevator evaluator and maintain coordinated flight throughout the maneuver. Keep the ball in the center. Uh, so yeah, this is basically simulating a stall during the final approach. Uh, establish stabilized descent. Transition smoothly from the approach or landing attitude to a pitch attitude that will induce a stall. Maintain a specified heading plus or minus 10 degrees. If in straight flight, maintain a specified angle of bank not to exceed 20 degrees. Uh, plus or minus 10 degrees if in turning flight while inducing the stall. Uh, acknowledge cues of the impending stall and then recover promptly after the full stall occurs. Uh, execute stall recovery in accordance with procedures set forth in the pilot's operating handbook. Oh, airplane yeah, flight I'm... manual. Yeah, airplane flight manual. Brain flight. Fart. Yeah. Configure the airplane as recommended by the manufacturer and accelerate to VX or VY, which we've covered in previous episodes. V speeds. Uh, and then return to the altitude heading and airspeed specified by the evaluator. So that's power off. Next one is task C, power on stalls. Same thing, only... Those are all scary. Yeah, because it, it's, it's more... It can stall. be more dramatic. It's harder yeah, to make just, it stall. Yeah. yeah, it's harder to make it stall. You had uh, a much higher angle of attack when it does stall. Yeah, you got the, you know, either cruise power or full power. Usually they do this with full power. That nose is high. Like, you don't really see the ground when you're sitting in the pilot seat. All you see is, like, the sky. So you feel like you're going straight up like a rocket ship. Yep. And you just keep pulling the elevator back. I always felt like this was more difficult to keep it coordinated. Yeah. Because you got to add in a lot of, you got to add in more right rudder. Well, it just, it seemed like it took longer to make it stall. Like you're kind of just like hanging out there for a while before it actually stalls. I suppose if I had yanked back harder, it could have made it stall quicker, but. Yeah, I always, I always was hesitant to do that though. Right. Like just yank and push it during these maneuvers. Yeah, I mean, you, you could make it stall immediately if you pull all the way back, but it just feels like, feels like something you shouldn't do. Yeah, it feels very it's weird. It's a weird feeling. Yeah, yeah, weird I feeling. Doing it in, a, in a diamond, you ever fly a diamond? No. When did you? Where do you diamond time from? Out of uh, Burke Lakefront. I don't know. I don't remember the name of the flight school. Uh, Premier. Yeah, I think it was Premier. Okay, I didn't I, know you ever flew those. Yeah, I flew. I probably got. I don't know, 10, 15 hours, a diamond, maybe more. Okay. Actually. But 
Those things do not stall. They don't stall. Really? No. They just kind of just sit there. Like they just sit there. You can pull all the way back, and it'll just it'll kind of just sit there. Huh? It'll slowly like it'll just slowly descend, but it won't actually stall. I did not know that. I have zero time in any diamond aircraft. Yeah. Like I'm sure. I yeah, thought- I mean, you can make them stall if you if you really want to, but it's like. I remember doing power on stalls and it's like, I'm just sitting there all the way back and it's just sit, it's just sitting there. It's just dragging through the air. Just like, it's not stalling. Just wouldn't do yeah. it. I'm, I'm used to flying the 150 where like, if I want to make it stall, I can make it stall. Like pretty easy. Yeah, it was, um, I had no time in the diamonds, but uh, banner towing. When you have a banner on the back, you can't really stall. Yeah, like because you're. It's like you got a giant anchor keeping your tail straight. Uh, in the back, so we were on. We were cruising down South Beach with a banner on the back one time during my training, uh, pulling the advertising banner across the beach down in Miami, and. I was, I didn't like how slow we were getting it going because I was pr- pretty new to it at the time. I maybe only had a few hours with the banner on the back. Prior to this, it was all just takeoffs and landings and maneuvers and stuff with no batter to get used to the, the Super Cub. And the instructor's like, slow it down, slow it down. I'm like, no, this is going to stall. Like, the airspeed indicator is going in and out of like not even showing any airspeed. It's just going to zero and like bouncing up to 30 and then like going to zero, which is not a comfortable phenomenon. And our, our pitch attitude's pretty up. And we're only five, we're like five, 600 feet uh, above the beach. We're out, just barely out over the Atlantic. So we're legal. Oh. And uh, like people by the beach, and I'm like, no, they're like, just pull the stick back. I'm like, no. He's like, just pull the stick. I think it was Vic. She was just like, pull the stick all the way back. And so I did. And the airplane just like kind of slowly went into a descent. And like very smoothly, like full full aft stick, like it it wouldn't stall. Like it just starts to descend. Does that sound right? Yeah. Yeah. That's about what that's about what the diamond would do. It just it would slowly descend, but you could not make it stall. It just wouldn't do it. Yeah. It's very, very it odd. Power, um, power off, it would just kind of just settle. It wouldn't, the nose wouldn't break. You know, in, in a Cessna, you know, you can feel that nose break and fall. It would just kind of just sit there and just like slowly come down. You know, it wouldn't, there was no definite stall. Which I mean, okay. it, it, it's it's a nice flying airplane. Like I mean, you know, obviously, if you're coming into land, you really don't have to worry about stalling near near as much unless you're really being stupid. But yeah, I thought it was. I, I was like the twin stars. I never flown one, but just I liked yeah, how they I looked. And but I flew the uh, what is it, the twenty and the forty. Okay. So, yeah, that's. I, yeah. I've never a, even. Either, the two seater and the four seater. I think it's a diamond twenty and diamond forty. Okay, 
I've zero. I've never even sat in one, let alone flown one. Yeah, I mean, I don't. So, I don't know if they're good airplanes or not. I mean, seemed alright to me, but I don't know much about them other than that. Yep. All right. The skills um, for the power on uh, always starts out clear the area, uh, select an entry altitude that will allow the task to be completed uh, no lower than fifteen hundred. Establish the takeoff, departure, or cruise configuration as specified by the evaluator and maintain coordinated flight throughout the maneuver. Set power as assigned by the evaluator, no less than 65% power. Transition smoothly from the takeoff or departure altitude to the pitch altitude that will induce a stall. Uh, Maintain specified heading plus or minus 10 degrees. If in straight flight, maintain a specified angle of bank not to exceed 20 degrees or plus or minus 10 if in turning flight while inducing the stall. Acknowledge cues of the impending stall and then recover promptly after full stall occurs. Uh, Execute a stall recovery in accordance with procedures set forth in the pilot's operating handbook, aircraft flight manual. Configure the airplane as recommended by the manufacturer and accelerate to VX or VY. Return to the altitude heading and airspeed specified by the evaluator. So this is this the recovery is basically the same as um, power off, except for you already have full, usually full power. My experience from with instructors I'm working with um, and uh, uh, doing these on check rides is they just have you do it at full power. So you already have full power if you're at like the 65 percent or you know 95 percent add in a little bit of the last power during the recovery, uh, I'd assume. And then you just recover. I've always, the recovery is a lot quicker with these though. Yeah. Yeah. Versus the power off. Like you don't lose hardly any altitude in, in Cessna aircraft, which majority of my training time is in. I remember, uh, used to have us bring the power back on them just, just to get it slower. So, because if you if you go into a power on stall at cruising speed, you're gonna climb a lot before you even get to the point where it's ready to stall. So I remember, I don't know if it was uh, our instructor, or the other guy I used to fly with, stabbed me, uh, bring the power way back and slow the airplane down, and then start to start to climb and then put the power in. Otherwise, you're just gonna sit there. You're gonna climb a lot before it actually stalls. I, th- I think I've done that. Yeah, that maneuver as well. But I just Don did. How Don have us do it? Because I feel like he just had his full power and just keep slowly bringing it back. So it wasn't like an accelerated stall. You don't want to do accelerates. That's like an aerobatic maneuver. I thought he had to slow it, slow the plane down. Maybe climb, then put the power in. You could be right. I I remember somebody oh. had me doing it. Uh, is somebody cutting is in? It, is it Lee? Is that Lee? Lee? Oh. Mr. Yeah. Griffin? He's got a black screen. Oh, yeah. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Here I am. Okay. I know, we know we know you have all the... It's weird. I, you got the studio set up at the yeah. hospital. Uh, how are you feeling? How are you feeling? I'm, I'm, I'm doing much better. I'm feeling much better. Okay. Get you all stitched up and everything. I I want to do a play by play. So first I got maced. No pepper spray. No, no, it's not. He's trying to lie. He's trying to lie. We we already explained. You don't have to. 
You don't have to hide stuff from the audience, Leah, yeah. right? We told them the truth already. You had a hysterectomy? Your hysterectomy surgery. You're back. We're glad you're back. We'll just move yeah. on from that. Yeah. I mean, um, I'm glad you, you recovered. I, I mean, you obviously you're still in the hospital. You're doing this from the hospital, but oh yeah, they have great Wi-Fi at the hospital. Yeah, that's so. good. I'm Modern sure. medicine. Painkillers. Not feeling that that bad. Not socialist medicine like in Canada, like American medicine. American you get Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi. You get good Wi-Fi with your hysterectomy. Um, do, you, do you feel different without your uterus? Well, since from birth I have felt the need that I, you know, shouldn't have had it to begin with yeah. so it feels natural oh, it feels natural okay. okay it feels you know what i mean if if you if you see what i'm saying i is a corrective surgery to make you you know you're born who I that feel way. inside yeah okay you know yeah, kind of like somebody that has a growth removed you just had like a, a growth removed you know yeah. i had a tumor i yeah, had a college exactly. professor that that went into this a little bit, some familiar. Um, we're just wrapping up with uh, the power on stalls, Lee. Uh, you're pretty much coming in the tail end of this. Scott and I covered it impeccably, yeah. though. We are, I doubt, yeah. we are geniuses, and I doubt you would have had anything else to say on top of Yeah, what. we pretty much covered it so well that I'm, I'm, I don't even know what we'd add to it. Yeah, I'm, I think, I, I'm sure. I'm, so I just... Lee's coming to the end. Uh, Lee Griffin uh, is just endorsing everything Scott and I just said. Uh, nothing to add. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he totally signed off on everything we said. So that's good. That makes me feel good. Hey, Lee, um, Lee, what are you drinking? Oh, this is uh, this is some Jack, some straight Jack. Okay, but don't have chew on painkillers from your hysterectomy. Well, this really—they told me there wouldn't be any adverse side effects if I were to drink the Jack with the painkillers before or after. Yeah, I was um, told don't mix the two. Well, you know, you've been told wrong, so okay. I'm gonna go down this path, and we'll just see what happens. Okay. Okay. Uh, um, we'll let Lee wrap this up since he hasn't talked much. Yeah. Uh, yeah. During this episode, um, if you just wrap it up with. Just like kind of like a five, ten minute summary of like when you're sending a student to their private pilot check ride. Like what's the like so what's the the pep talk you give, Lee? About yeah, specifically I mean, about uh maneuvers. The maneuvers, yeah. yeah. Maneuvers in general. We well, covered we covered steep turns, rectangular course, S turns, turns around a point, slow flight, power off, and power on stalls. So uh, let me break those two types of maneuvers uh, into, I guess, two separate categories. So one of them are a little bit more performance oriented, and then one is really um, one of them is almost designed as a distraction. So you want to look at like your rectangular course is one of the maneuvers, um, turns around a point, S turns across a road. Um, those are all, and eventually, you know, in the commercial pilot certificate, you know, you'll get onto eights on pylons, which is kind of a glorified turns across the road. All the same concepts apply. Um, so you talk about these uh, couple maneuvers that are, are not really performance oriented, but what they're designed to do is they're kind of like building into a distraction. They want you to be able to look out the window and look at that, let's say, turn around a point. 
you want to look at your point and what I've always found is, you know, use maybe uh, an intersection so you can, an intersection on like a, a highway or a, a roads and you can find a point in each one of those quadrants, if you will. So if you have a four-way intersection, that's divided into four quadrants and you can find a point that are somewhat equidistant. Remember, you're only dealing with the limitations of that examiner as well. I mean, they can nitpick, nitpick, but what are they going to fail you on? Can they tell that that barn is, you know, a hundred feet, you know, further from the intersection than that uh, house on the, in the next quadrant? No, they can't tell that difference. Just like you can't. So it's a maneuver for you to look at that intersection and do your best to play the wind, know what the wind is in advance. Just like S turns across road, it's all about playing the wind. And your instructor, your instructor will will tell you all the finite nuances of of um, trying to connect the dots as best you can. And it'll take time, just like any other skill or whatever. It'll just take some practice and, and repetition. But you're gonna you're gonna play the wind. You're gonna find those points, connect the dots as best you can. And you're dealing with the limitations of the of the examiner as well. Uh, I mean, is that what you guys have seen with your guys' check rides? Um, you know, I know Rob, you've taken, uh, you've taken a private, you've taken a commercial, you've taken a CFI checker where you've had to teach it. Yeah. I don't, I don't like want to downplay the private because when, when you're at that level of the training, this is a very serious check ride. You know, it's your first check ride yeah. you ever take and yes. this is the standards. And there's a reason they make it this difficult because when you're new, these are, these are the basics of the basics, but I forgot how, like w- when you first mentioned this morning before you had to do the emergency hysterectomy uh, that because you came up with the idea, which is ironically, and then Scott and I ended up doing most of it. Um, it's unfortunate. Um, I'm glad you're okay though. Yeah. Oh, I'm, uh, I'm doing, be- I'm doing better than normal actually. Now I feel like my true self. Well, yeah. That's good. That's good. You feel like your true self and you got scotch and painkillers. Yeah. Um, I I could I I was thinking there'd be like Shindells and stuff on this, but that's all the commercial, commercial. stuff. Commercial, yeah. yeah. But like I agree with you. Don't downplay the 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 private pilot maneuvers. Don't downplay my. I'm a hundred percent in agreement with you because although you know, yeah, you talk to somebody with an ATP, uh, it, well, like myself. Oh and, no! And oh. <laughs> there it is. There you are. So you go tell me, hey, go do a tr- or a, a turn down a point. It's not that that is a hard maneuver, but it's the concepts, and that is that is part of the game. That is part of the game with a private pilot certificate, and 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 all these so these ground reference maneuvers. Let's divide these into two different things: ground reference maneuvers from performance maneuvers. And I'm pretty sure that's how they're divided in the ACS. Um, I don't have it right in front of me. I'm, you know, they don't actually. The PTS was more divided eight. that way. Yeah, but yeah, you're not incorrect. Okay. Well, I mean, I don't know. You know, in the hospital, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't have all my things in front of me. So, oh, you know, faculties as well. Co- correct. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this IV drip is really helping. But anyways, so you have. Um, your prof- ground reference maneuvers, and remember, that's dividing your attention between flying the airplane. Keeping it within these parameters, you know, plus or minus 100 feet, plus or minus 10 knots, plus or minus 5 degrees of bank angle, all these things. They're trying to see if you can juggle these um, 
parameters and safely operate the aircraft. So you're trying to keep an equidistant around and it turns around a point, for example. You're trying to keep an equidistant, you know, flight path around this point. And you're also trying to fly the airplane within a very tight tolerance. So the, it's a distraction. It's all about distraction, which is very realistic in airplane as from a private from a private pilot perspective. You're taking people for plane rides. You're, you know, whatever. Uh, these are things that are asked of private pilots very often. I mean, I don't, this is really weird. I don't really want to talk about it this way. It's not like, you, you know, you've got a private pilot to go take people for plane rides. But that is common. And it, it really gears you up. You know, these are some of the maneuvers that are a segue when you're first as an instructor and you're doing um, a lot of flight training. These are some things that you will expose a student to before you really start doing pattern work. That's what I did. Um, get them used to dividing their intent, their attention between outside the airplane and inside the airplane. All flying a pattern, you know, at a, at a, as every instructor will validate for me. Uh, and Rob, you can validate this. Scott, that you can validate this for me. When you're doing, when you're doing a lot of your private pilot training. You're doing a lot of time in the pattern, doing takeoffs and landings, touch and goes, whatever. You're doing a lot of that, right? I mean, yeah. that's how much well, of your rating is that? 40%? I feel, like spent, like, I feel like you're spent almost half the time in the pattern. Yeah, exactly. Rob, what do you think? Yeah, the, well, landing is the hardest part, pretty much. So you spend a lot of time perfecting uh, landing well. And with that, what you don't really realize in the background is the fact that you're running rectangular course. You're yep. running turns around a point. Rectangular course is pretty much covered in the pattern. Yes. So if you can get somebody early on, I never, I never wasted my time with a rectangular course. I would no, do turns around a point. It's like double. It's double training. Why? Why do it? You know. Well, I agree with you, but if an, an examiner could ask you to do it on a check ride is the thing, which is just flying the pattern. You just have to kind of use your imagination out in the cornfield. So yeah. I, I never spent any time doing it. I obviously tried to cover it verbally, you know, on the ground with a dry race board with students, you know, but I wouldn't go into great depth in the airplane. That's just burning time. Remember to the average student, especially you students going through a 141 training program you're spending almost two hundred dollars an hour if not more to do these maneuvers i'm not going to waste your time with that just do well you know we'll do turns around a point we'll do s turns across the road because those are thing those are things that you may do on a check ride rectangular the course you do every single day in the pattern so if the examiner makes you do that on a check ride you're gonna have to kind of in my in my opinion, and I, I I guess you know, kind of saying it out loud, I don't really I, I'm not happy about it, but you're gonna have to kind of make it up as you go along, because you have done rectangular course a billion times by flying the traffic pattern. So when I'm hard on a student about, hey, you know, hey, the wind's out of this way, we're landing this way, you, you need to fly this heading to track this precise downwind yeah maybe i've been accused of being a little tough on flying a perfect pattern but that is because rectangular course is a potential uh maneuver you may have to do or an area of operation you may have to conduct on a check ride it's not because i wanted to be you know hardcore and make you do a perfect pattern 
yeah, there's nothing wrong with excellence in, in, in minutia, I guess. But if they make you do it, you'll be glad that you flew a good pattern on some of those days. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Patterns, basically rectangular course. Yeah. A hundred percent. One the same. You got to use your yeah. imagination because that instruct now, now that DPE. So that does need- for a while and then you don't really care what it looks like. Patterns just, you know, <laughs> well, and, and the, you know what the reason why you don't care what it looks it, like is because might- you can adapt. You say, Oh, I'm in tighter. I'm in, I'm, I'm, I'm further away, but I'm higher. I'm further away, right. but I'm lower. You can make those finite adjustments and allow the time frame that you have to make those adjustments work out for you in the casual onlooker. And I'm honestly like Scott in your case. Now, Scott is just a private pilot certificate level, but he is very advanced in skill level. He could probably finesse the shit out of a, or fin, I'm sorry, Rob, finesse a rectangular or a, um, a, a, a rectangular course or a traffic pattern in a, an average observer or an average DPE giving him a check ride would be like, oh, that was a great. Great pattern, great landing. They wouldn't know the difference. Scott has an has enough skill and flight time that even though he's only a private pilot certificate level, he can he can blend those all those concepts together and make it a really kind of refined outcome, for lack of a better term. Rob, I mean, I, I don't know how else to say that. You can he can Scott can, for example, for for people seeking a private pilot certificate, remember. The person sitting next to you giving you that check ride is a human being. They can be a hard ass. Now, I don't want to downplay that. They can be a hard ass. And they and you probably already know about that. If you're taking a check ride with a hard ass, you probably are not, already know they are. Wouldn't you guys agree? One. He was pretty laid back. But would you say? I said I've only taken one check ride and he was pretty laid back. But the uh another company I used to work for, they they had a guy that did their check rides and he was pretty. I could tell he was kind of a hard ass. That's who you did your check rides with, the hard ass, right, Lee? Yeah, um, almost every. Yeah, almost all of them. I yeah. believe he he was god of aviation. One of well, the gods. It not I mean, the god. I would say this is what this is what we would call a polytheistic religion. <laughs> okay. There are multiple people that are gods. There are, se- there are several gods of aviation in northern Ohio. At least two that I know of. He likes Zeus, though. Like, the other gods have, King like... The gods? Yeah, the other gods have, like, control of their domain, but, like, he was, like, the <laughs> ultimate god. I think that's probably an accurate statement. That's probably an accurate statement. It was, like, a lot of gods, but I feel like he was Zeus. <laughs> like, he was the one that oversaw all the gods. Yes. Okay. Uh, that's probably an accurate statement. Uh, so I'm just saying, though, for the for the major, well, okay, I'm not. I don't want to say for the majority of people. If when you're going to take a private pilot check ride, typically, you know, your instructor knows what your examiner wants to see, and you're going to be trained. Kind, I don't want to say you're getting any shortcuts because maybe you're not. It depends on your instructor, but they the, the instructor is not going to sign you off if you're not safe. You're probably safe. A lot of people are probably safe. And I mean, I, I use that very sparingly, that term safe. Uh, and I, I got stories I can't even tell you. Well, I could tell you, but not in this episode. But anyways, 
you need to realize the person that is giving you the check ride could be a hard ass. And chances are your instructor has trained you to kind of work with where their hotspot items are. I know I did that as an instructor. Rob's probably done the same. Scott's operated in this environment as well. Um, you just, it's, it's kind of what we say at the airlines is cooperate and graduate. It doesn't do you any good to, you know, put your, you know, dig your heels in and it does, doesn't do you any good. So just, just learn the way they want you to learn, produce the way they want you to produce on a check ride. Um, in 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 uh, the ground reference maneuvers, it's kind of a test. Can you divide your attention outside the airplane and inside the airplane, kind of at the same time? You're you know if you're juggling four balls, you're going to drop one eventually. Uh, if you're juggling five balls, you're going to drop one more often. So that that's kind of the concept. You got to think about the the wider scope you're trying to control. The more balls you're juggling for the analogy, and you're going to drop one. That's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. They recognize this. If it's a hard ass, that instructor is going to probably do a great job telling you. They know the examiner they're going to use. They know that before you've started your training. So they know that in, uh, examiner's hotspot items. So they're going to make sure, hey, on these steep turns, don't lose any altitude. You can When you roll out on your heading, you can be off 20 degrees. They don't care. Don't lose 50 feet. Don't lose 50 feet. They will know that. Yeah. And so, go ahead. With the, with the private, your instructor is pretty much picking who's the DE you're going to. With same thing with the instrument, same thing with the commercial. It's the CFI. Unless it's changed since you and I did it, you've got to apply to the FAA on the CFI. Um, if they don't have anyone from the FAA available, then they assign a designated examiner to do the CFI. You don't get to pick. Nobody gets to pick in that situation. On a CFI. On a CFI, initial. and That's oh. just the initial, too, for, unless it's changed from when we did it. Oh, shit. Lee's frozen. The hospital Wi-Fi must have gone out. Oh, yeah, he's planning on getting good Wi-Fi. Oh, no. Lee's, Lee, again, Lee's recording from the hospital. The Wi-Fi at the hospital must have gone out. Welcome yeah, back, Mr. Yeah, Griffin. There you go. You were staying. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. No, um, on a CFI, you don't get to pick. Yeah. Well, you don't get the first pick, I guess, right? Would you say that, Robbie? You don't get the first pick. Yeah, the first CFI, you can, most people just do the regular CFI. You could do your double I or your multi engine I for, or multi or CFI M. What do they call it? I don't even remember. M E I. You could do one of those first legally. Yes. No, I think it's CFI M. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. I think you had it right the first time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. CFI I don't have one. So I don't either. And that you know what that's you interesting. You don't have a multi CFI. I don't. Lee? Isn't I it? thought you did. No. no, 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 no. I don't have one. I need to get one because there's zero reasons that I don't have one. But I don't. I think there's a there's a guy or there's a guy or a company that does it around here. I think they have an Apache. They do. Uh, they don't. 
They, oh, still, they don't. There's an Apache flying around the area, but there is no CFI, no MEIs to be. Oh, had. I thought they did. I thought they did MEIs in that oh, thing. Oh no, 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 not anymore. Not anymore. Why not? Why not? Um, there's a multitude of reasons. Um, mostly because it's you know one of the partners in the aircraft who is, I believe, now the sole owner, uh, no longer wants any training to be done in his airplane, which mm-hmm. I don't begrudge him one bit. Yeah. edit all of this it's all scott you just wasted i don't know how many minutes yeah but whatever you but you did you wasted. whatever you guys so <laughs> oh dude i'm having a great time hey <laughs> let's roll so yeah i gotta piss so bad though like I might go ahead be, nobody's right, gonna miss right you now. scott all just right. go ahead see you bye <laughs> you you weren't even here for the first 50 minutes you know but you i'm did. contributing but i'm contributing more right now you having a hysterectomy. Let's roll. Let's roll. <laughs> COVID. All right. So, anyways. All right. Hold on. One, two, three. I'm leaving all that in. Just roll. Go in. ahead, man. Um, uh, yeah, on the CFI, you know, typically the FAA has the, and actually, coincidentally, okay, we'll cut this out. Anyways. Um, with your CFI, your certified flight instructor, your initial, the first time you're getting an instructor level certificate, that is something that, uh, I, I guess kind of the, the FAA wants to be a little bit of a, a gate on that. They want to basically maintain the, the integrity of who is able to instruct which makes sense. You know, they're kind of, yeah. you know, the bastions of the next generation of pilots. And uh, I think that's important. I, I am 100% on board with that. Um, I don't want the FAA to have a bad rap at all. I have a, I've had a very intimate relationship with the FAA um, through all of my flight career and um, on into the, uh, you know, the professional career now. Um, I've been to our local flight standards district office, the FISDO here in Cleveland multiple times. Um, I've met many of the inspectors and I have nothing but good things to say. They're just people like, uh, you know, you and I, and, um, you know, people want to have a bad connotation, connotation of maybe cops, you know, all your speed and, um, that's not how the FAA is. Um, it's a, it's, it's a hard dynamic to really talk about and describe, but, you know, fess up to, you know, maybe, um, things where you miss the mark and you're not going to get any penalty, uh, which is very odd in kind of law enforcement, if that's what you want to call them, which is really what they are. You know, they're law enforcement. Yeah. You know, um, I've had nothing but good experience. I've been ramp checked. Um, I have met with them, you know, for, for all the, all the, all the reasons you could think of, I've met with the FAA over and they're just people like you and I. And so when you think about, you know, and, and, and bring this back in the CFI level, they want to control who is able to dole out instruction to the next generation of pilots. Um, and then going back even further, when you're talking about these levels of certification, private commercial ATP um, the instructor or the designated examiner designated pilot examiner DPE is what you'll hear DE designated examiner all these different phrases whatever 
They're just people like you and I. They're probably going to be very lenient. The things you need to know, they will be pretty much zero tolerance on. You need to know what you need to know. And I would urge you to make sure that your uh, instructor, I, okay, there's a lot to my next statement. One, don't blame a failure. Don't blame you not knowing something on your examiner. Everything, I mean, this is the world of, of, of the internet. You can find everything you need to know. You can search a billion resources like us that will tell you to point you in the direction of things you need to know, things you need to look up, things you need to get more educated, things you need to make sure your instructor is teaching you or educated on to convey to you or shed more light on for you. They are working for you. So make sure that we're, we're trying to keep them. I, I don't want to say we're trying to keep them honest, but you need to keep them honest. Um, there's no really reason you as a consumer should really be at a disadvantage into what you know going into a private pilot or any check ride for that matter. Uh, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you guys agree? Yeah, it's compared to when we went into it. Yeah, you could like you just watch YouTube videos for hours on stuff where like right. we didn't have that when we went through it. No. It was basically what, in my no, case, what what Don taught me, yeah. and that's no, basically it all I knew. Yeah, back then, if we had a question about like how we're supposed to do something or how something worked, you asked your instructor. Now you can just, you're sitting at home and you're curious, like, how should I do this? You can just Google it. You're going to find out. The only thing with that is, you know, is, you know, it's like WebMD. You go talk to your doctor well, and you say, oh, I read this on WebMD. They're going to be f***ing pit- or I'm sorry, Rob. They're going to be pissed. They're going to be mad. Yeah. They're going to be mad at you for like undermining you know, their validity, which I mean, honestly, you really kind of are, but you're also capitalistically treat, keeping them honest. Right. If a doctor put that into WebMD, who's to say that doctor is less experienced than your doctor? It's just the same as your doctor with flying. If they get pissed, I've been there, done that. With well, the I know. Pediatricians. Well, I know, but I'm just saying like, if you look something up on the internet and it tells you, how you should do something with an aircraft or how you should do handle something as a pilot. It was probably written by a pilot. So who's to say that your pilot instructor is more experienced or more knowledgeable than that. Yeah, pilot? The internet's uh, the wild, wild west. Yeah. I mean, you can have, you can have, I mean, let's just hypothetical example, three schmucks start a podcast and they use like multi-generation branding of like, the regulation book as their show they just no one no one did the podcast about that yet. So they just took the name for themselves to, to give themselves some authority and now they got you know like a show people listen to it and think they know what they're talking about you know it's just one of many it examples. can happen you gotta be very careful maybe they do know what they're talking about maybe one of the three maybe knows a little bit um <laughs> um back to your faa i've had Probably a couple dozen interactions with the FAA now. And all of them are actually a positive with the people I've met, except for one. There's only one out of a couple dozen I'd have a bone to pick, which I won't do on the air. Um, yeah, it's, 
I, w- I would agree with your your sentiment that it's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, you got to think. I mean, so people think of law enforcement or the government, at, you know, Big Brother. And I mean, yeah, we're with you there. But these FAA inspectors, it, the FAA, and I don't know what makes it this way. I don't know what the culture is that makes it this way. But there is a very, and, and of course, okay, so I want to back this up. I've had plenty of interactions with students and I've had all variety of students from contrarians who are like, okay, it's the government who wants me to do this. I'm going to do, I'm going to skirt that as hard as I can to just barely be legal. So the FAA can't say anything, but I'm, I'm doing more what I want than they want, but they can't say anything. And me. well, and, and I, and there's a lot of people like that. And there, there are some out of necessity. Um, there's a lot of variation as to why you know people feel that way. But you have to think um, the FAA. There's regular people. They are. They've typically come from airlines. They've come from you know a lineage like they've done charter. They've done flight instruction. They've gone through some form of process to get them where they are. And, you know, there's, you know, they have to have all the way through an MEI to be an FAA inspector. So they're, I, I don't, I mean, I don't want to say they're the most knowledgeable in, in the real world, but I don't want to say that they know nothing. I mean, absolutely. I mean, absolutely not. I was contrary to that. I would say they know a lot. They may not know all the intricacies of you know today's you know uh, multi-engine charter twin turboprop you know charter industry, um, but the regs are the regs and that's their job. So they don't necessarily need to know all the nuances of of whatever. But I have the utmost respect for FAA inspectors, uh, like Rob just said. Other than maybe you know one or two, and I I have zero injury. Well. Okay, um, I have an issue with maybe one guy that I I had to do an initial one third part one thirty five check ride with in a new type certificate airplane. Uh, to me, um, he was a hard ass. I would not say he was wrong in any single way. Um, I happen to agree with everything he said. The way I was taught was less than ideal through a big name uh, simulation, uh, a simulator company um, like flight safety. I'm not saying it was flight safety, but it was very similar to flight safety, if not exactly the same as flight safety. Um, and so, so not, was flight <laughs> well, your words, not mine. Um, I'm just saying, so I got trained in accordance with, um, you know, flight, uh, that particular, there was similar flight safety that, um, that company's, uh, whatever standards. And so I go to take this check ride for this 135 carrier. And since, um, the FAA actually sent out a very specific, they, he was the fleet or what I can't remember the terminology. He was the fleet manager for this specific aircraft type, the Lear 31A or Lear 31 or Lear several making models or several models. I don't know, but we needed him. I could not get a check ride to be legal to fly 135 unless this guy, this individual 
gave me a check ride in this airplane. So I go out and do a check ride with this FAA examiner in an airplane. I already went and got type rated in at a simulator company like flight safety. Um, but maybe not flight safety. Um, and so I should have been hundred percent legal and it trained in accordance with the manufacturer, blah, blah, blah. So I got this guy sitting there and basically we go, we do the check ride. He didn't fail me. I come back, do a debrief and he tells me all the things I did wrong. I'm like, well, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I just came from the airline. So like, I know what I was supposed to do. I know what they trained me to do at maybe a company like flight safety. And, um, We'll have, to, we'll have to get Mr. Cochran back on. Uh, he wrote he wrote a lot of policy for a company that's maybe not flight safety. Um, <laughs> he could probably add more to this than Scott. <laughs> well, you guys know you guys know what I'm saying. I and I'm, I'm way off in the weeds here. Yeah. I guess talking about a specific airplane, but you guys know what I'm talking about with the examiners. They're just other people. They're subject to all yeah. the same flaws everybody else is. I was fortunate. I did. Um, I did my private same gentleman. At, we won't mention. I'd like to have him on the program. That'd be an interesting guest at some point. We could probably get him on, even though none of us really know him. Who's that? Um, Who is that? Our our private pilot out of Tiffin. Oh, did our did our oh, DE out of yeah. Tiffin? Yeah. yeah. Um. So I did a check ride with one, him. Finally, yeah? I did a check ride with him. I did two. Nice two check rides. I did a flight schedule in renewal and an ATP initial check ride with him. When did oh, you do nice. that? Well, I did the flight instructor renewal probably back in 2011. Two, no, 2010. Oh. And I did my ATP, I think, in 2012. Oh, okay. That's a long time ago. Well, yeah. Yeah. So I did um I did 141 for my instrument, uh, which is a company. Again, we're not naming names. We'll just call it American Liars. Um, I did my instrument 141 with them. And then, so that's like in-house. It's not really, really a check ride. Like it's just the final flight lesson is your exam. Well, it's, that's similar to 141 training though. It was 141. There you have it. Yeah. So, um, so we went, and then I came down to Florida for my commercial and my CFI. And um, I do want to make like a public service announcement. Um, Please do. If you, the dis, the late, he passed away, the late Ed Amato. Anybody out there knows like more info. This guy was a legend. He did my commercial and then I was so happy when I heard that he was assigned for my CFI check ride as well. Because I already knew him and got along with him really well. Uh, he, he's... I would assume he was a little, he was kind of a little bit of a hard ass. He was like an old school, like the kind of a grumpy old guy, like old school, which I, I appreciate. So I kind of liked, I thought it was like kind of funny and like I was enjoying the commercial. And then during the commercial, he found out that I knew his buddy's grandson, uh, Lee Griffin. So he was buddies like, it was just nonstop. Like he somehow knew your grandpa Lee and like was a huge fan. Like couldn't believe. What couldn't was her name? The world. What was her name again? Ed, his, his name was oh. Ed Amato. Oh. Oh, <laughs> what was her name? 
<laughs> we uh, spe- speaking so, of you, speaking of your grandpa Lee, we just put a wind tee up. Oh, I know. I already got pictures of it from someone else. From from Roger. No, you were a day late and a dollar short. And you know what? I really, I really, Rob, your story is important, and I'm pissed that Scott interrupted you. <laughs> this is an I'm emotional sorry. topic. All right, we'll move on. Yeah, well, Scott, you're an asshole. <laughs> well, no, I was just I saying they're going to put a plaque on it. In, it's going to say in memory of Harry Griffin. Okay, well, that makes me about to cry. You're still an asshole. You should have told me anything first than the source that I heard it from. But okay. well, where'd you hear it from? Mr. Peter. Moving on. Well, Moving I just heard on. about it today. So, fuck you. <laughs> I just heard about it a few hours ago. My dad told so me anyway, they were going to put a plaque Adam, on it what? in memory of Harry Griffin. Once Ed Amato heard that I was buddies with Harry Griffin's freaking grandson, it was like, I wouldn't say he gave me a free ride, but it was like more relaxed. And like I told him where I grew up flying and he's like, okay, like show me this short field, soft field stuff. And he's like, you're not lying to me. Okay, you know right. that. And like it was it was more of yeah, that yeah. kind of kind of vibe and he's just like it was he didn't let me off, but he, he like it was it was like I said it was more relaxed. It was well, I mean, so that that's my case in point. I mean, yeah, I ramble, but you know like if you can go pull off like a soft field short field landing and do a soft soft field short field takeoff like you can demonstrate, I would argue, I mean, pretty much 100% of the aeronautical skills you need to know to be safe. Turns out a point, yeah, I get much. it. I get what you're trying to do. But is that going to, is that going to kill someone? I I mean, it would have, you'd have to go way out to figure, to, pretty much design a scenario where that would really endanger somebody's life, not being able to fly a rectangular course. I understand it's important. I get it. You know, find the pattern, doing a square pattern, you know, when you're actually flying the traffic pattern into an airport. But raw stick and runner skills, doing a soft field takeoff and landing, come on. You know, and then when you can, when you can, you know, walk the walk, like, again, you did, Rob, uh, and I, Scott, I know that you can too as well. What else does somebody else really need to see? What are they judging you on? It's it's one more box to check. Yes, for the examiner. Um, but are you showing them a? Are you showing them something new? Are you showing them something that makes you unfit to go operate an aircraft safely? I I don't think so. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm not. I'm not a DP. I'm not a designated pilot examiner. But uh, I mean, that would just be my perspective. I mean, you take me and have me go do a uh, a turn around a point or an S turn across a road. It's not going to be perfect the first time. Zero question. I have like six thousand five hundred hours. Yeah, and I'm not going to out of the gate go do a S turn across a road. Perfect like is somewhat expected out of a private pilot check ride. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was just telling Scott, we um, when I'm up there this summer, I'd like to take his 150 up and just go, you know, I'll I'll give him a lesson on the stuff, and it'd probably be a refresher for both of us. And yeah. and that is that is healthy out of every single pilot to understand you're always learning. You know what you know, and, and from an instructor standpoint, when you're signing somebody off for a check ride, you have to somewhat recognize. And my and my older brother taught this to me, and I and I 100 agree with him. Um, for the maybe once out of my life, um, that when you sign somebody off for that check ride, that private pilot check ride, that might be the best they will ever be in terms of compliance you know regulation wise after that you know i've done right. a lot of flight reviews after that they're gonna slip they're gonna yeah. slip they're not gonna yeah you you know you look at the the regs they have to do a flight review you know every 24 calendar months and you know maybe every 40 years for some people who don't read the book but anyways legality wise is to every 24 calendar months you have to do a flight review and so, you know, the FAA says it's supposed to be representative of a, uh, you know, a certificate of, of a check ride. And, you know, you do your best as a uh, instructor because it's one of the few things you have really in your toolbox to kind of advance, you know, the whole the whole piloting, you know, thing, the safety margins, you know, the aeronautical decision making. That is, that is really one of your last chances. You know, you can sign somebody, somebody up for a check ride and you can say, no, you're not ready for a check ride. But after that, after you've signed them off for the check ride, they go take their check ride. After that, you're not going to see them for two years. And they, right. if at all, if it, well, that's true. If at all, they may go to somebody else or they may be illegal from here on out, you know, depending on how well you train them or how conservative they are in general, uh, you know, as an individual. But, you sign them off for this check ride. They go take their check ride. You have to think a little bit that that is the most proficient and compliant with the regulations that they will ever be in yeah, their flying most career. Likely. Most likely, yeah, you're just going to slip from there. Now, there's some people. Well, like yeah, me. it's probably the, probably the best. I, well, it depends on who you're training, but Correct. probably the best piloting. A lot of them will be because. A lot of people get their private pilot's license and then they fly a couple times a month. Right. Which they're maintaining they're maintaining the skill to fly, but they're not getting any better at it. And that and that wow. I mean, there's so much this guy you didn't even know, but there's so much in what you just said. It I mean, it boils down in my opinion, it boils down to that individual. Like how conserv like how conservative are they from a safety perspective? Yeah, and there's people who yeah. like, ah, you know, whatever. Like, I've flown on this temperature with this weight in this airplane, and did fine. I, you know, I did this, that, the other thing, and it was fine. And I did this, that, the other thing, it was fine. Well, yeah, but eventually you reach your threshold. You know, we 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 know here locally there's instances of high performance aircraft um, that are you know designated as, you know, short field takeoff and landing aircraft, Cessna Caravan, um, that does a great job handling very adverse weather conditions, you know, ice, uh, all the stuff, you know, but eventually you come into a limitation. And so, you know, kind of, you kind of come up with the, the very, uh, you know, snide, um, or, you know, uh, or what do you want to say? 
Like the joke, yeah, I can carry a ton of ice as long as it's on the inside. You don't, you don't know where the limitations are until you find them. And you don't want to be on board when you find the limitations of the aircraft. And so that's, I mean, yeah, I'm drawing a very, you know, uh, very dark picture, but somebody found limitations on these airplanes. Don't push the limit. So as an instructor, it is partially your job and you got to do your best because you have all walks of life come in self-made uh, business owners, whatever you have all, doctors, you have all these people come in with all these different personality traits and you have to do your best as an instructor to kind of bring them back to earth, show them they are not the best at everything they do. Not everything they touch is turns to gold and that they can succumb to some of these, you know, potential uh, outcomes, which are, you know, negative <laughs> crashing, rolling off the end of the runway, touching on short of the runway, whatever. It's a lot of what's up. A lot of ways to die. A lot of ways to die in an airplane. It's not hard. And as an instructor, unfortunately, it's part of your job to beat that into people that have made their own money. They're millionaires already. Um, and I always equated it to somewhat being like the, um, the, uh, golf pro at a, at a country club, you have multimillionaires come in every single Sunday and you're better than every one of them. And that's the same way with flight instructing. It is the great equalizer. They are coming to your house. You are better than them. You always probably will be better than them. And it is your job to, Subtle, and you have to read the room, subtly teach them, show them that a little bit of humility, I guess, bottom line. And so with all of that, that plays into the DPE, the designated pilot examiner that may be giving you this check ride. You have to realize that somebody, a human being sitting next to you, you got to you gotta read the room. Uh, hopefully, your instructor has given you the heads up on how that individual operates, their hot spots, and you've been trained trained um, correspondingly to to kind of successfully get through a check card with that individual. Yeah, I mean they'll always pop up, you know, new things and and um, hopefully they've trained you adequately to, you know, to to the gamut, you know, of what's in the, you know, ACS. Um I'm I'm sure that's what's happening. But you're you're just you're not it's not a ones and zeros is that type thing, right? Yeah, you, it's be, another uh, person. Yeah, yeah. Good summary. That's um, it's uh, going a little long here. Um, on that depressing note of crashing and needing humility, um, Apple Podcasts app. We have a couple new reviews to uh, to go over. Uh, we have uh. Lana K. Vandeveer, incredible, so knowledgeable. These aren't rubes. They know their stuff and translate in a fun and interesting way for noobs and highly flight educated alike. And Air 1K, great podcast, good pilot information discussions and remarks that crack me up. Thanks, guys, for a great podcast. Keep them coming. We will uh, keep them coming. We will. We're <laughs> fighting. Lee. Lee's hysterectomy made this almost happen, not happen tonight, but luckily you did show up for the ending and uh, made us go long as per usual with ramblings on, uh, that are entertaining and hopefully, um, informative discussions as air one K said, 
Um, if you are listening in the Apple Podcast app uh, and have not reviewed, we are looking for, we'd love to, to have a five-star review, obviously. But if you have five-star review, uh, we'd love to read it on the program. So uh, consider that. Head into your phone. Um, email is our preferred method of communication. My email is F-A-R-A-I-M at robertberger.com. B-E-R-G-E-R. The German way, not the sandwich way. Lee Griffin is F-A-R-A-I-M at leegriffing.com g-r-i-f-f-i-n-g and scott boris is f-a-r-a-i-m at scottboris.com b-o-r-e-s and uh, that wraps it up uh we're gonna try to record uh next week's episode uh right after we stop doing this so lee does not have a chance to listen to this episode uh so therefore he cannot critique it for next week um which i'm sure uh, episode 36 uh, he will probably have listened to the episode and have a lot to say about Scott and I's explanation of the goings-ons. Um, until next time, thanks for listening. Take care. Thanks, guys. Mm-hmm.